The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Man, it's Christmas week, Joey. It's, I mean, Christmas is about giving. It's the time of giving. And no I, question. You, you've brought up some presents. I've already opened one. I mean, you can't see it if you're just listening on the podcast, like you're driving down the road. But if you're watching this on YouTube, you see that the stallion got me a Atlanta Braves mug that is made out of a baseball bat. Like back in the day, Joey, I don't know if you know this, but like certain players like Albert Bell, some say Sammy Sosa would like, like put, put cork in there. Yeah. Would yep. cork the bat, even yep. put some like bouncing balls or something in there. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if this was one of their bats or something, but yeah, it, exactly. it lets me know that this is the Braves are the world series champions for 2021. So bro, Thank you. Well, dude, that thing had your name all over it when Facebook market or Facebook just started hitting me with these ads. And I was like, I got to get this for us. They do. You. Now you gave me, and again, you can't see this until you come on our YouTube page, but the cousin Eddie's sweatshirt <laughs> with the, with the RV on it. I mean, I'm going to wear this loud and proud because cousin Eddie is cruising and people are renting it like crazy and man, this is this is perfect. Yeah, if you don't know, Joey owns an RV that he named aptly Cousin Eddie, <laughs> and he rents it. And it's another passive income stream source for you and your family. I've got to take part in it. I only thought it was fitting to get you a sweatshirt as the proud owner of Cousin Eddie. Yes. So it's Christmas week. We're so grateful for you. We uh, we love that that you listen to this podcast and that you share it. And we want to share an episode with you that's near and dear to our heart. And this episode was recorded back in May of 2018. It was recorded with one of our most famous and favorite people. Yeah, Nelson Nash himself giving you the history of infinite banking. I mean, we could not think of a better gift than to uh, allow you to hear from the mouth of the founder creator of this concept that has changed our lives and so many of yours. you just got to listen to this over and over. There's so much wisdom. And uh, so anyways, we just want to give you that gift this year. Yeah. So grateful for you. I know that you'll take some nuggets out of this. Many of you have already listened to it before, but without further ado, let's listen to the history of infinite banking with our friend, our mentor, someone we loved a lot, Nelson Nash. Welcome to the wealth without wall street podcast your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. 
Well, welcome in, Nelson. It is such a pleasure, as always, to have you in our office and to, for the first time on the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, have you live. Now, our audience has been listening to us talk about this infinite banking concept from day one. We've shared many, many ideas, but none of this would have happened without you. So thank you so much for one, coming here today, but for taking this idea and sharing it with the world. I'm just excited for you to be here. Thank you. I mean, it's a privilege to be with you always. One of the things I'm most interested to learn from you today is kind of the history of the infinite banking concept, where where it started. I know you have roots in forestry. You learned a lot about economics, and we've talked with Bob Murphy on this show. We've talked with Paul Cleveland on this show. And that thought process has really spiraled into where you are today and how everything has evolved. But one of the first things I really think of is you identified early on in the insurance industry a completely different component that other people were missing. Would you mind explaining that to our audience? Well, I entered the life insurance business in 1964, and so by uh, 10 years of experience there, I saw something among uh, everyone that I was experiencing back in my forestry days. Remember, I was using heavy equipment to uh, clear land to grow trees, and I was using Caterpillar tractors uh, to uh, do the job. Well, those doggone things are very expensive. (laughs) They are expensive. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. A D7 Caterpillar in... uh, 1960, somewhere along in there, it cost a dollar a pound. So it cost $50,000. Now, the payments on them are uh, $1,500 per month. I had three. That was, little third grade arithmetic. That was a lot of money back then, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Lots of money compared with what I could net. Right. All right, now... You don't drive a caterpillar tractor down the highway. You got to have a low boy to carry it on. That's a big truck, or whatever. Right. Well, the operators have got to have trucks too, and so forth. Oh, you begin to get the picture. Yeah, it starts adding up. This is expensive. you're running into lots of cash flow in order to end up with you making about ten thousand a year. Wow, they let you make that much, <laughs> <laughs> right? So. so what I was seeing that now all these doggone things are financed. I was noticing that in the business that I was doing insurance business with, the same phenomenon was there. And the cash flow that they were paying into interest was staggering. So your need for finance is huge. But here we were talking about your need for protection, which is very small in comparison with that cash flow for the other things that make that possible. So you figured out that the problem was their need for finance. Yes. Where you were in an in industry that was trying to sell people life insurance. Yes, benefit. exactly. I saw this clearly, but I suppressed the thought for several years because in the industry, no one will believe me. <laughs> it's just not natural to be talking about that, is it? No. <laughs> well, no, that you got you to be talking about your need for a uh, death benefit in case you die early. And scaring people yeah, into right. more and more of that. Yeah, that, that, that's what you got to do because the life insurance industry insists on this is the approach. But this thought that I saw that you need for finance is greater than you need for protection and that life insurance companies 
the way that they're designed and so forth, what dividend paying whole life insurance is all about, is the perfect answer that people have been totally overlooking. And although the world doesn't see it, I've been cursed with <laughs> seeing this thing, and I can't quit. You can't face I've got to do it. something about it. Your, your right. knowledge level now is there, and you can't do anything. And about. so uh, I was brilliant. Uh, I decided that the way to do this was go to the home office of the insurance companies and start there. So th- this was what year, Nelson? The uh, late 70s or very early 80s or so, somewhere along in there. So I decided that if I got this across to the Home Office of Equitable Life in New York, that uh, this would solve the problem. I spent five years trying to get this across to them, and I finally found out that they were totally unpeachable. Hmm. Well, that happens too. Yes, because you see, uh, that thought process was totally foreign to them. And then I decided that uh, my word, I should learn this in academia, particularly forestry school, because the entire wood product industry is just eaten up with OPM, other people's money. Other people's money, yeah. $50 million addition to a paper mill is nothing to produce a product you blow your nose on and throw in the trash can. <laughs> I said, now think, boy. The dean over there at the forestry school at that time, you were in the first class he taught back in 1949. You'll get an interview. Call him. You'll get an interview based on that relationship. Strap that airplane on your back. Go over there and spend the day with him. Run this by him. If he rises the occasion, then let's establish a chair that would do nothing but teach this. All he was interested in, how much are you going to give the alumni society this year because I'm retiring next year? Nevertheless, I pursued that process for two more years. Finally found out that if I'd give them a quarter million dollars, they'd let me teach this. <laughs> They should be giving me a quarter million dollars to teach this. Now, out of that seven years' experience, I found that mental paralysis in home offices of corporations is legendary. But in academia, it's worse. Now, my friends down at the Mises Institute and at FEE, they all corroborate what I'm teaching, what I'm saying, my observation, that is, that academia out there today is a basket case, and they're teaching absolute nonsense. And people actually believe that stuff. Well, Nelson, let me back up just one second. So yeah. we know the story, but I want you to share with others how it became that burning bush moment for you, where you came face to face with the solution to your need for finance. Well, the fire wouldn't go out. I knew that what's going on out there, they're missing something big time. You've been cursed with recognizing this. You have no choice. I can share that same feeling. You know, back when I learned about this, being in the mortgage business, I was convicted. Yeah. Once I, once I understood That's the word, this, convicted, yes. I need to be out here talking about this. I need to be telling people about this yeah. and sharing it. But back us up to your personal experience in the real estate world where it became a big issue with the interest you were paying out. Well, that was the thing that just brought things ahead. We're all influenced by the way the world thinks and behaves big time. And uh, I had been investing in uh, timberlands because that's something I knew something about. You see, uh, most of the so-called investments out there are not investments at all. It's speculation. Right. Especially now. But you see, they don't classify it that way. Right. now. Yeah. This is the importance of classification. And having a forestry background in classification, you, yes. you know something about that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And so 
when you see something out there that other folks don't see in a particular area, like several pieces of uh, timberland that I bought, I never put a little foot on. I flew over them in the airplane. But, you know, I knew there was a, was a good deal. You had a, what they would say, a high-level understanding. Right, right. And you can help somebody out if you you know something that other folks don't see out there. That's right. And so uh, I invested uh, in Timberland, and I made money as long as I uh, stuck to that uh, You stood in lane. We we talk about that a lot on the show, of of investing in things that you know are people that you know. Sure. That's it. Precisely. Well... Here comes the real estate development business and so forth. Through one of the realtors that I've been dealing with, I get involved in development real estate. Now, that's leverage to the nth degree. Yeah. Run uh, about what year was we talking about here? Well, we're talking about uh, 1979, along in there. Interest rates on 90-day loans back in those days was 8%. That's prime rate. Now, prime rate definition is... The best customers the bank has, then people they know will pay them back. Right. People that don't even need it. Yeah, it used to be General Motors. <laughs> we can't say that anymore because it's government motors. That's right. And You know, I've been uh, teaching these seminars all in the United States and Canada for the last 20 years, and I have told people about prime rate, and I said, bear with me. I'm scared to death to ask this question of you. Is anyone in this room prime rate at a bank? How many yeses have you had? I've had one. One. <laughs> and I'm quite sure he was lying <laughs> because he was listening to what the gopher at the bank was telling him, uh-huh. <laughs> and he actually believed it. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not prime either. Right. So I was paying 9.5% interest on 90-day notes to buy Timberlands and such. So you, you would go borrow money at 9.5% yeah. and have 90 days in order to pay them back? Sure. Yeah, okay. I know one piece of property that I uh, made a bargain for, paid a deposit of $500, which I, dollars, which I borrowed for 90 days. <laughs> and before the 90 days is up, I sold it for three times the, the price I was going to sell it for. All I had was the interest tied up on that $500. I mean, that's the ultimate leverage. That's, that's the way it works, right? I mean, that's, Well, that's... that can give you a disease. What disease is that? <laughs> if I can do this... I can run through that wall. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Superman it's, syndrome. Well, if you, if you did it on this size property, maybe I should upgrade a little ah, bit. You broke the code. Ah. So uh, here comes along development real estate. Now, interest rates were uh, nine and a half, and I made money, but along came 80 and 81. And uh, interest rates uh, prime went to 21.5. So this is during the Carter administration, and... We saw ridiculously unbelievable things happening from the Federal Reserve and what they were doing yeah. with rates. Well, I've not prime again, so 21.5 plus point and a half, for which I've got 23% uh, interest or so. And uh, I got caught on half a million bucks in uh, real estate like that. Well, that's a bunch of money I wasn't expecting to pay. I was dealing with partnerships. I felt comfortable having partners in these ventures and so forth, coupled with the fact that really, guys, if you don't have somebody to share things with, you really don't have much. Right. So, so how are they feeling? So you, obviously, you're, you're feeling a little bit nervous about how this is going. <laughs> I can imagine that there's a 
a big, huge market for the land that you now own when interest rates are that high because nobody else wants to go borrow money. Right? Well, to make matters worse, it was this project that there wasn't no way in the world you could lose on. It was beautiful. Mm. It was a unicorn deal, right? Well, no question. I've had one of those down in Auburn before. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> we talked about that one. What we never considered is that uh, we had uh, borrowed from a bank that they went bankrupt. <laughs> The bank mm. went bankrupt? Yes. So you just got to kick the land? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it works? No, we didn't work that way. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, the loans that they have out are assets on their books and so right. forth. Uh-huh. So high rollers buy a bunch of these things in a big ball. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we could bid on that, but we weren't that big. Right, yeah. <laughs> no way. Bottom line is that uh, they stole our property for less than 10 cents on the dollar. So, mm, well, that's quite an education there. Yeah. One of the partners we had was a big name lawyer here in Birmingham. He owned 30% of this project, and I felt very comfortable having him on our side. He bankrupted on us, and so we had to eat his portion. Well, my share was $300,000. So, so we're talking about a total of $800,000 at 23% interest. Well, this is what got my attention. That, uh, <laughs> I, wake you up. I could see that I could get the money during those horrible times from three different life insurance companies, 5 6 and 8% interest. But the only thing wrong was that I didn't have enough cash values. So you're sitting here, you're staring down the barrel of $800,000 in debt yeah. at 23% interest. Yeah. I got to imagine there's some introspection, as you said, going on at this point. Sleepless nights and whatnot. (laughs) Severe pain. I I mean, how many times have we all had a moment where we did something and we we got on our knees and God, please get me out of this scenario. (laughs) I promise I will never Uh do it again. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, a word called stress comes to my mind. (laughs) Yeah, and that starts working on the body and starts making you think about different things. But in this scenario... Took something that you already had identified way back when that our need for finance is greater than our need for protection. Yeah. So you had been putting large amounts of cash in these life insurance policies. Mm-hmm. Just you didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars worth. No, no, nowhere near. I was paying eighteen thousand a year back in the days when I first started realizing all this, but yet I was paying uh, oh something like quarter million a year. Interest to the uh, these banks, banking business, and I said something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong in this scenario. I got to reverse. I got to reverse these numbers. Well, I started outlining what I had realized to my fellow agents with Equitable Life, and every last one of them says, "You got a real good idea there, boy, but you owe a lot of money. Now, as soon as you pay off all the debt, you should start this." No. I should crank up the banking business, borrow from it, and pay them off. Well, what you just said, Nussel, we just got finished doing a podcast a couple weeks ago, and it was called (laughs) The Debt Dilemma, that tension that exists. And Uh a lot of people will say, oh, as soon as I pay this debt off, then I'm going to do that. Yes. Why didn't you do that, though? Because I saw that it was wrong. Explain. That banking is, from you see, from my... Austrian background there. Richard Cantillon, 300 years ago, pointed out that it's all borrowed money. In uh, essence, what he's saying is that everybody ought to be in the banking business. He didn't phrase it that way. 
But the implication was that was true and that it's all borrowed money. So you should act like that. You should control it at the you and me level totally. Well, if I waited all that time to pay off the debt and then start building a banking system through life insurance, that the strategy is wrong. The earlier you start with a life insurance policy, the longer it's enforced, the more efficient it gets. Right. Going in back to your forestry examples, it would have been waiting 10 years to plant the tree. You got it. Yeah. Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, you got to go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me. Well, I think, I mean, we, we as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and, and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. And we've all been there, though. I mean, I, I can remember coming out of college, and I had a $2,000 credit card bill. Now, so can you believe somebody would let me get a credit card in college with very little job? I was waiting tables, and I yeah. had $2,000 in credit card debt. By the way, I, I maxed out my credit card in order to buy a suit for my first job, literally the socks yeah. what pushed me over the limit. I found that out down the road. Mm -hmm. So the, the $10 <laughs> pair of socks and it cost me $45 because of the, the over the, the over limit over charge. But yeah, my natural instinct was, boy, I've yeah. got to get out of this debt because I'm being asked to save money and other uh -huh. things. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. But now I see the fallacy in that, the reverse thought process that every day I wait to start building up I'm going to be having to backtrack because yeah. things happen, right, in life? Sure. There, there's some other things that happened in your life that, that added on to this. This wasn't the only thing that happened, was it? No, but the roots of all the erroneous thinking back there is the, is the problem. I keep telling people that years ago, I was doing a seminar in Western Colorado, and the sponsor for the seminar assembled his uh, audience, and uh, he says this first word, Infinite banking concepts is all about how you think. And then he said, infinite banking concepts is all about how you think. And then he said, infinite banking concepts is all about how you think. Mm. And then he introduced me. It was so effective. <laughs> and from then on, Just I that uh, made sure I got that across, that it's about how you think. Our thought process out there that's taught by the educational community is backward from reality. So Nelson, you come out of this scenario and there's multiple things and people who have read your book, they know the other issues that went on. And if not, I'm going to give you another opportunity to go onto our show notes by becoming your own banker. Read that one. He's got another book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. We encourage you to read that one as well. But after doing this, you recognize something, like you said, it was not being taught in the insurance industry. It was not no. being shared in the financial world. So you, you got out there and started teaching this in mm -hmm. just local seminars. And next thing you know, take me to those days. And then from where it went from you teaching just a handful of people here to you traveling the world, sharing this concept and actually writing a book. Well, 
that's very painful for me to talk about because you see, there were more financial geniuses on the scene right along in that era than you can imagine. More per square foot than all the rest of the world put together. Well, the stock market <laughs> yeah. was doing pretty oh, good, yes, wasn't it? Yeah. And so I was trying to get this taught here. I was working, working, working to get up a group. Let's say we're going to meet at six o'clock on Thursday evening and go at it for a couple of hours. You know, here's this this mindset about you got to get things across in a very short period of time and otherwise people won't listen and stuff like that. So the format was two hours presentation. I'm going to get a group together. So I got 40 people that uh, boiled down to 20. Now, I uh, call and uh, remind everyone at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday that we'll be starting at 6 o'clock at so-and-so location. And they all said, I will be there. There were times when no one showed up. I'm shocked by that. So you're telling me that there was people not willing to show up and learn? They vowed that they were going to be there. But something came up as an emergency between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And at 6.30, I gave up and went home. So there you are. You're, you're like, I've got the cure for their cancer. And they're not, they're not coming. Yeah. They're not listening. Who's this Nelson Nash anyway? Yeah. I know he, That's the pain of being that trailblazer, isn't it? Well, I remembered something back there that was very vital here in this whole process as a strategy. The life insurance industry, okay, look, uh, I was not a supersonic producer, but it was very respectful, we put it that way. And so invariably with the annual meeting of Equitable Life, I would be on the program. Well... They always have a moderator, and there's three agents on a panel. Do a little third-grade arithmetic. Each of those agents is going to have about 10 to 12 minutes to talk, and that's it. Now, you want to get across infinite banking concepts in 12 minutes? (laughs) Well, I, I can tell you it's tough because you tried to teach me three years in a row. Yeah. And that same amount of time. Yeah. And it wouldn't work. Remember, that there was a conference you used to go to all the time, and I've mentioned on the show that yeah. where I learned at a conference, and I, and I mentioned that I heard it in 2009. I don't know if I've repeated yeah. the fact that I heard you in 2005, 6, 7, and <laughs> right. 8. It's actually right. four different times. And you had about 10 to 15 minutes every time. Yeah, right. Way back there, have you all ever heard of Larry Wilson, Wilson Learning Corporation? Yeah. Uh, Larry was a school teacher. Had a real bad habit of spending 1.25 times income. <laughs> Nobody does that. Had had to find something else to do. Got in the life insurance business, did extremely well, but it bugged him. He couldn't explain why am I good. He called himself an unconscious competent. He had four kids at the time, and he says, I'm going to take off a year and find out why I'm good. Well, seeking you shall find in the Bible is absolute truth. When you get out searching diligently, you'll find that the answers are there pretty much for the asking. But you'll also run into another thing that you weren't expecting, something called synergism. During the search, he ran across the path of Bank America, who was looking for someone to create a training program for their bank. And that's how Council of Selling was born. It's a 40-hour block of instruction. Designed to be put on four hours at a time over a four-week 
got a 10-week period, I'm sorry. You see, every four hours needed a week of gestation there. For you to be able introspection, to Introspection, yes. so forth. Rumination. Let it sit in a little bit. Yes. Let it marinate. Yes. And he was very successful with it. Made a ton of money. Since he had that experience with life insurance companies, and he says, God, I bet life insurance companies are like this. Called on Equitable Life in New York, made his pitch, struck out. Somebody was kind to him, caught him by the elbow as he was leaving the room. Son, if you wanted to sell this idea, you came to the wrong place. Go to Birmingham, Alabama, see J.B. Conway, the agency manager there, and if J.B. likes it, you're in like Flynn. Now, J.B. was one of the best red guys I ever met in my life. And he just loved that sort of stuff. You know, Larry came, explained what he was up to, and J.B. says, okay, we're going to do this. And so he had Lamar Phillips and I put it on for the agency every year. So you were starting to do this counseling teaching model. This is where the roots of you learning how to teach people something that's a big concept. Yes. That's where it transpired. Well, anyway, Lamar and I liked it so much, we used to teach it for the general public. We'd always pick Monday night in the fall to deliberately conflict with Monday night football. <laughs> to figure out who's the yeah, real, right, true learners. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, if he was more interested in football, we didn't want him in the room. We had start at 6 o'clock and uh, go for four hours. We usually were at a conference room uh, at a bank somewhere in downtown. And it was always fun that when we left, we were in a car driving home and it's two or three guys on this corner, and here's two or three guys on this corner still going at it. That, that, we, you, we were going home. You had their minds <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of listeners on this podcast, people that you're talking to right now that have had zero education right. in business, zero education in finance, huh. but yet come out, start making great deals of money, yeah. and then are looked upon by their peers, or not necessarily their peers, but their yeah. friends. Right as the ones who know all there is to know because they make money and they assume that that means they understand it. But that's the beauty of the people listening to this podcast, those who maybe weren't given the same education that we were in relationship to business and finance, but they're learning it now. Because what you're saying, the person who's interested in money, not football or interested in other things, they're not listening to us right now. Everyone who is listening to what you're talking about is interested in breaking free of that Wall Street mindset, interested in becoming financially free. So this is what happened. I was trying to get it done in two hours, remember? Right. And it finally dawned on me that you're not going to get this done this way. Right. So I rewrote the course for 10 hours, designed to be put on two hours at a time over a five-week period. And then I got a crowd of 18 people. That's how big the conference room was. I had a 75-year-old, I had a 25-year-old, I had eight males, females, all kind of different occupations, and I wouldn't let but one life insurance person in the room. And at the end of the first session, 60% of them hung around and was wanting to ask questions. And my response was, go home, it's over. <laughs> I'll be here next Thursday night at 6 o'clock, and I deliberately did not call a single one to remind them to show up. 20 people showed up. Drastically uh, different than what you were experiencing early on. Yeah. Now, by the time we got to the third session, they were all saying, you need to write a book. And so it is. (laughs) So that's how it happened. And next thing you know, you and Miss Mary, your wife, are riding down the road, (laughs) traveling all over the country. Yeah. 
Because people got that book and said, <laughs> we got to get him here. Now, Nelson, kind of go through some of those stories. I want to, as we, we start winding this down, I, I just think it's so fun to, to hear some of the success stories of your travels and the people that you've met over the years. Because we've already talked to some on this show, Bob Murphy, who's an Austrian, yeah. one of the most published Austrian economists yes. out there. And he heard about it from someone not yes. in the life insurance industry. Yes. What are some of those other interesting stories that somebody's wanting to hear about how infinite banking has gone from you identifying this way back when, trying to do workshops, next thing, figuring out this counseling touch? What, what are some of those stories? Well, the interesting thing out there is that this is not taught. This is caught. you got to have inquiring minds out there that are responsive to this sort of thing. I will say this. We're kind of teasing people here because you're talking about doing these seminars, which just in the last year, you've kind of hung up the cleats, haven't you? Well, the old bod's not what he used to be with it that way. <laughs> that travel is not all that attractive. In fact, I probably would have some difficulty with it, whatever. But your books still exist. Oh, yes. We uh, want to encourage people to yeah, go the, uh, order the, those. The book, Becoming Your Own Banker, sold over 400,000 copies, and it's in 31 uh, countries. Wow. So uh, when you get these people contacting you and telling you about how you changed my life, and I tell them, no, you changed it. And so through a lifetime of doing this, you have seen many, many successes in your life, one of which is that you don't ever have to deal with the bank anymore. Absolutely. That's peaceful, stress-free way of life. <laughs> You've got two published books out there. I know you're working on a third. <laughs> okay, Banknotes is our uh, monthly newsletter. So I started back uh, last month with the word ponder. I uh, took my own advice, and I spent the month pondering uh, about a lot of things that go on out there in the world. That led me to the word ruminate. Such a good word. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you, it really is. It is so important. And so uh, what I see now is that I've got to spend the rest of my life one month at a time there with absurd things that are happening out there that people don't recognize at all. Well, what I would like to do is have you back on, and I would love to go through and hear the stories of how generationally in the Nelson Nash family, you guys have implemented this concept we've just been kind of going through the history of. Would you be willing to do that with us? Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, perfect. Well, thank you again for being in here. We love hearing your stories, and thank you for listening. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.